All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Leviticus 18 and 19, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. We had a great camp this week. It went really smooth, and I think everybody was blessed. Um, had one of those moments on the hay rack ride when I'm riding with some of the kids, my two little ones, they got to go to, and looking at my feet, and we're just chugging along there. Everybody's tired and exhausted, and I'm looking up the road, and I see you know, uh, Brad Watkins uh, driving the tractor and then, and then uh, um, the Hayes driving the, the front tractor with, you know, 30-plus kids on it and 30-plus kids on this hay rack ride. I'm looking back, and there's a, a line of adults in cars with their flashers on, and it's like, man, it was just awesome to see the body of Christ ministering to these little kids. It was just a real blessing. Then the concert was great, too, of course, kids raising their hands, worshiping, and um, out there on the point, and uh, just a really great, great camp. Really couldn't be happier with it. So thank you for all of you that volunteered and helped. Um, it really brings the cost down, obviously, for the camp, for the kids, and uh, um, couldn't do it without you guys. It's such a blessing for you guys to be out there when you could, and for those of you who stayed out there the whole time, you have to take a nap today or just hibernate for a week or whatever. Um, anyway, it's great. All right, chapter 18. As they write this book, uh, things pertaining to the Levites, that's what Leviticus means, they've switched from the Levites, the priests, to also all the people. In other words, I want you Levite priests to be instructing the people on these things, holding them accountable to these things, and, uh, and teaching these things. And so um, this is for everybody. These, these last few chapters here are for everybody to pay attention to. The priests also obviously need to follow the rules and the laws, but this is for the whole congregation. And I think this first five verses really gives us a, the thrust of why God writes all this down for them, why he has all these don'ts, why he has all these do's. It's, it, it's never been, the law has never been designed just to, just to see. Let's see if they'll do what I tell them to do kind of thing. God's never been looking down at us saying, I think I'm going to I think I'm going to put this law on them to see if they don't do this. You know, um, It's always been for our benefit. And that's what he says here in, the, in verse 5. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. So the first thing they have to know is I, I'm the Lord. <laughs> I'm your God. Uh, there is no other. There is no one higher. Um, I'm, I need to be that in your life. I need to be the Lord of your life and I need to be your God. And there can't be any others. It just has to be me. We've got to understand that to begin with. I'm the Lord your God. Um, according to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, where you used to live, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I'm bringing you, you shall not do. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe uh, my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. That's the point. You live by them. This is a great way for you to live. This is the best way for you to live. That's what God's trying to explain to them. The, the ways that you learned in Egypt, they're not the best ways. Those aren't even the closest to the best ways. They're horrible ways. Don't do those things. And the place I'm taking you in Canaan, they're, they're doing those things too. I don't want you to be like them either. I don't want you to be like any of these people. I want you to be like me. I'm the Lord your God. That's why he says it four different times there. I'm the Lord your God. I'm the Lord your God. I'm the Lord your God. 
Look at me for your example. Look at me for your hope. Look at me for your teaching and for, for, for showing you the best way. Trust me, I'm your father. And as a father who's looking out for his kids, I'm always looking out for your best interests. I'm not adding to this. He says that throughout the scriptures. I am adding to this section of scripture, but that's what he says throughout the Bible. I'm always looking out for your best. Do this and you're going to live. Not only the, the minor things like going to the bathroom outside of the camp and be careful when you have leprosy, that kind of stuff. That'll help you live too physically, but this is going to help you live spiritually. This is going to help you have a joyful, full, happy life. You know, if you trust me, if you implement it, you don't just learn it, you don't just memorize it, but you actually put it into your life and walk in it. That's the point. Reading it, writing it down, owning it, under my, this is not the same, you know? That's what they used to think. We've got the law. We've got the law, you know? What's it say? Don't know, but I've got it, you know? You're not living it. That's okay. I own one. It's on my coffee table. Looks brand new, you know, kind of thing. No, you got to walk in it. You shall live if you walk in these statutes, walk in these things. Ordinances, kind of a funny word, like a tradition. This is kind of what we do. This is our thing. I was, I was talking to someone recently. This is a, a very minor thing, a little difference, and, and there's nothing wrong with either. But in our country, when we're happy, what do we do? We smile. We show our teeth. Go to Vietnam. Go to that country. When they're scared to death, they do this. And so you can get really confused sometimes when you're looking at them and they're going, like, what's going on, man? What's the, what's the, good, what's the joke? Fill me in. I don't know who you are. You're scaring me to death, you know? And you start smiling back at them and they're like, oh, what should I be scared? And they're all looking around. What should we Miscommunication, misunderstanding. I, I, that, that's just a, one of those cultural things. You know, and I picked a really benign one that doesn't make any difference what you do. You can smile if you're scared if you want to, but it, it's a difference. It was a big difference. He wants there to be a difference between the Canaanites, the Egyptians, and the Israelites. I'm starting a new thing here. It's a new group of people. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a nation that I've, I birthed from Jacob. One man, I took Jacob and I made this entire nation and I birthed them in the womb, so to speak, of this Egyptian place and I'm taking her, taking this child out. I'm taking this new nation out of Egypt and I don't want you to be like Egypt and I don't want you to be like Canaan. I want you to be like me, your father. So walk in these things and you'll live by them. Verse six, none of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. This had to be said because this is what they used to do. It was no big deal to them. Honestly, in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, they did do that. Where did Cain get his wife? Probably either a sister or a, a niece or something like that. That's how that happened. That's what the Bible tells us. Anything else is speculation. It's a guess. It's filling in the gaps, which is a dangerous thing to do when you try to fill in the gaps. And so that's what happened. But now, not so much. Not good. After Noah's flood... Things have changed drastically in the world. After Noah's flood, they started eating animals. They didn't before. You need to get your protein some other way. Now you need to eat this because the plants that used to produce that, we are guessing, we don't know. This is filling in the gaps. Something changed to where this was okay to do now. Likewise, God is changing something here, and this is really important. Some of the things in the Old Testament stayed the same all the way through. They're always going to be true. You should never commit adultery all the way through. 
That never changes. On the other hand, some of the things did change. God did change the rules on these things. They're ordinances. They're things that can be adjusted, basically. This is one adjustment he's making. Before, it wasn't forbidden. Now, no next of kin, nobody close. And here's my line. God's going to go through a very long list of people who you can and you can't um, have physical relationships with or make them your wife or husband. The nakedness of your father... Or the nakedness of your mother, you shall not uncover. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife, you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. There were situations where dad dies, and so then I would take my mom, or stepmom even, not even my actual mom, as my wife now to take care of her. Not acceptable. They used to do that in this country before we got here. It was just part of the culture. You take them in. No, we don't do that. Here's why. Because you become one flesh with your, and now she has. I remember in, boy, this is getting PG-13 real quick here, sorry. Um, I remember in health class saying, you know, every person you've kissed, you've just kissed everybody they've kissed. That put a whole new spark on, oh, where you been? You know, kind of thing. Really causes you to pause, kind of thing. This is the idea behind that. You can't do this because your father has already been her husband, and you can't. So that's the idea behind this. The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you shall not uncover. The nakedness of your son's daughter or, the da- or, or your daughter's daughter, that's a niece, their nakedness, uh, you sh- or granddaughter, sorry, uh, their nakedness you shall not uncover, for theirs is your own nakedness. In other words, you're, you're, it's, it's part of you. In other words, it's not going to do well genetically anyway, and it's wrong. The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, begotten by your father, she is your sister. Even though she's a, a, a stepsister, so to speak, she's, she's your sister because, or a half-sister. She's still your sister. She still counts. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is near of kin to your father. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is near of kin to your mother. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. You shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. Uh, You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman. Uh, and her daughter, nor shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover their nakedness. They are near of kin to you. It is wickedness, nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister, keep that in mind, to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. Why is that important? This would have hit them smack between the eyes. Why? Jacob had what? Leah and Rachel. They'd all been like, oh, we didn't start off so well here, then, did we? If this is a rule now, great, 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 great grandpa, I don't know, 400 years ago, got Leah, and then he got her sister, Rachel, and they were married, and that's where all these tribes came from, from these two women. Interesting. Smacked him right between the eyes. That's in Genesis 29, if you want to read the story on it. Now, Normally, in 2017, in a modern society such as the United States of America, this is kind of like, okay, do we really need to study this stuff? I think we got this down. You know what? What used to be crazy on Jerry Springer is now normal today. 
I don't even know if Jerry Springer's still out there. Jerry Springer was a host of a show that just got people wound up and crazy because they were crazy people doing crazy stuff, this kind of stuff. And it was like, this is so shocking. Now it's like, this is just, you know, 17 years later, 20 years later, this isn't unusual. I mean, it's unusual if we heard it maybe in Maryville, Missouri, you know, or maybe not. (laughs) Arkansas, it's been common for years. No, I'm kidding. Just kidding if you're from Arkansas. Just kidding. Just kidding. Kind of make fun of the South a little bit once in a while. You didn't have to go over this stuff, but now you do. Now you do. The, the, the aspect of a family has changed so drastically since 1960 in our country. It's no longer one man, one woman with 2.5 kids. It's not like that anymore. It's one man, maybe two women, three women, a couple divorces, a couple, a couple here, there, whatever, a couple mixed, a couple blends, a couple kids, a couple whatever, People living in the same house, and you're not so sure anymore. Wait a minute. I mean, it's getting difficult for people to say that's not, she's not really my sister. She lives here, but that's like my, my, my dad's new wife's daughter. You got to be careful. You got to be careful about these things. And so you do have to go over this stuff now. Because it's not the way God planned it. God planned it for be a man and a woman to live forever till the day they die or till death do they part forsaking all others till death do they part, and then you've got some kids, and that's it. But it's not the case anymore. And so you do have to go over this stuff now. You do have to make sure everybody understands, look, it's not okay to do these things in the sight of God. God isn't pleased with these things. So he lays it out for us. Now, um, this Rachel and Leah thing would have been interesting for them because what do you do about it? It's a good thing to cover and go over right now. What do you do about these things? Do I divorce Rachel then since it's, it's codified now in God's law that I shouldn't have done that? Do I go back? Do I change things? No, of course you can't change things. Of course you can't go back. That wouldn't be right to Rachel. That wouldn't be fair to her kids. That wouldn't be fair to anybody. It's not right. It's what you do from there on out. Once you have the knowledge, once you have the understanding, what do you do now about it? That means... Jacob, of course, he's long since dead, but if he was alive and read this at the time and he was able to hear this, he would then have to make a decision this day, as we do today, anytime we hear God's word, what will I do now that I have this knowledge from here on out? I was wrong before because God's word judges me and I've accepted God's word as truth. What do I do from here on out? That's exactly what you do. Now I walk with the Lord. I walk in these statutes. I walk in these ordinances so that I may live. That's the point. But of course you can't go back and change those things. Verse 19. Also you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity. And we know what that means. We discussed it last week. Moreover, you shall not lie uh, carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire of Moloch, nor shall you profane the name uh, of your God. I am the Lord. Now, it goes through kind of a list there, just real quick, rapid fire, four different things. First of all, you, you, you can't lay with your wife while she's having that time of the month. You steer clear of her, leave her alone, um, and, and, and you need to be careful about that. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife. Of course not. I mean, of course, do we have to say that out loud? They do. Remember, this is a people group coming out of Egypt that's known nothing 
They've just adopted these things. In fact, several times as they're walking through the wilderness, they're going to say, remember the leeks and the onions? Remember what we used to do? Yeah, do you remember what you used to do back there in Egypt? Do you remember all of it or just the highlights? Do you remember making the bricks out of mud and straw and being slave labor? Do you remember throwing your babies in the Nile? Do you remember all that stuff? Are leeks and onions that important? Well, somewhere along the line, we get, you know, we get further and further away from what we were delivered from, and we start making excuses that it's okay to be doing those things again. Or it's my, Oh, look fondly back at those wonderful parties in high school. You remember those wonderful parties? I remember those red cup parties in high school vividly. I remember girls screaming and crying and, and, and all the drama, and I remember the puking, and I remember the blackouts, and I, I remember all of it. I remember the, the cops coming. I, do you remember that? Uh, it was, that's how it was. I remember that. I remember running and landing, ended up in barbed wire one time. Cops showed up at the Red Cup party. And there I go tearing off the woods, not exactly straight, this way, and found myself hung up in some barbed wire fence. I still got a scar on my chest from it. They're not great memories. Not if you remember them accurately, you know. It's so important that we remember our sin and what we've been delivered from and what, it, what walking with God and having a life of joy in this purity, walking in his statutes, what's that done for us? And how we've changed and how life has become better, you know? I'm not missing out. I've gained so much. I've left behind those things that were killing me, bringing hardship and heartache and pain into my life because I thought that's what the rest of the world was doing, so I did it too. And I've left that behind. I've been walking with God ever since, and they think I'm crazy, and they think I'm crazy. Both Egypt and Canaan think I'm crazy, but I just keep my eyes on God, and I love it. I mean, I'm having the best life ever. I wish they knew it. I need to tell them about it, and hopefully they can see it. And that is what God's trying to do with Egypt or with Israel. Israel is to be an example of what it looks like to look up, not look horizontally, but to look up at God, and here's what it's like. And that's why I want to live my life the way I'm living it. I want people to look in at the Dirk's household and say, ah, okay. You know? Now, we're not perfect, obviously, but ah, okay, there's forgiveness there. I see that. I love that, you know? And I see they're walking with God, and I see the blessing of God. I see they struggle in that area over there. But I can see that when they struggle, they go to God, and things are, work out. And I, That's what I want to do. I want to be that example, you know, as we all do, I hope. And that's what he's trying to do with Israel, so that Canaan, so that Egypt, I've got them mixed up, Egypt and Canaan, both look at Israel and say, we want that also. Now, he mentions something here about, don't let your descendants pass through the fire of Moloch. That's a disgusting practice that they used to do. It was a practice of a Moloch god. It was made of um, bronze, and it had a hole in its belly. And they would put firewood in it and start a fire in it, sort of like you see a chimney today, maybe one of those outdoor fireplaces that you can put on your deck or whatever. They would fill it up until the whole thing would be glowing red hot. It would be that hot. I want to be careful about this because of little ones. But their arms would be stretched out like this in this god, this bronze god. And if they wanted to bless their home or if they wanted to bless their life or something like that, Moloch required them to put a kin. I'm going to be careful because there's little ears here and I don't need, they don't need that kind of thought in their mind and, and you can teach them that later. But until it no longer existed. And then they would put the remains in a jar and bury it into the, one of the walls of their houses 
so that the house could be blessed. And archaeologists have discovered these things and can show you these things. You can look it up online to get more details on these things. We want our house blessed, and so therefore we're going to give up this beautiful little little ears, little, little person. Um, we're not far from that. Well, what I mean by that is they almost had a better reason for it than what we do. Now we do it for convenience. It's called abortion. So that I might have a better life, I'm going to sacrifice the life of this child so that I might have a better life for convenience. Anybody, any Christian that's on the fence about abortion, not sure whether it should be a choice, whether it should be something, you're not thinking right. You've you got to get out of the, the, the Egypt and the Canaan mindset that's been just drilled into your heads. And you've got to back up from God's perspective, from the child's perspective, and say, this is just... I'm not going to wear a shirt that said, I had an abortion. Let's just change the words on it. I killed my baby. Wear that shirt around. I'm proud of it. I killed my baby. Well, I don't want to put that on there because I didn't. I killed an embryo. Um, got to get that right in our heads. We've got to get that right in our hearts. We have to understand this and get this down. It's not a choice. The choice was made long before. The choice was made at conception. Once conception took place, it's no longer a choice. There's two people involved here. It's not your choice anymore. If you can come to a consensus with the other person involved, fine. But I bet you can't because it's a baby. No, you don't have a choice. And God says, do not let your descendants pass through the fire of Moloch because you profane the name of your God. And anybody that's still in that idea, any Christian that still thinks it's a choice, an option, something that God doesn't care about and the Bible is silent on is absolutely wrong and needs to check their faith, needs to check their doctrine, needs to check their Bible and read. I am the Lord. And he says that at the end of that is an exclamation point. And just remember who said this. Not Moses. It's not the Levites saying this. I said it. The creator of the universe, I said it. It means it goes. It stands. It's law. It's not option. It's not open for debate. We're not going to talk about this. I'm the Lord. Remember? Verse 22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. It was then and it still is today. 1 Corinthians 6 in verse 11 tells us that such were some of you, but you've been redeemed. You've been set free. You're a new creature, new creation in Christ. You can't do that. It's an abomination. It was then in the Old Testament. It's not one of those Old Testament laws that changes to the New Testament because we have it reaffirmed in the New Testament that it's still wrong, that it's still an abomination to God. It's not okay. It's not acceptable. It isn't love. It's lust. Nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things. For by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled. Therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nations or any stranger who dwells among you. Nobody can. For all these abominations the men of the land have done. 
who were before you, and thus the land is defiled. Lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. For whoever commits, uh, whoever commits any of these abominations, the person who commit them, the persons that commit them, shall be cut off from among their people. Therefore, you shall keep my ordinance, so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which are committed before you, and they are customs, and that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am the Lord your God. Romans 1, as we've studied on Wednesday nights, describes the decline of any nation. The first chapter does, all the way um, from 19 on. And uh, um, describes it as he gives us over to these things, whatever they are. He'll, He'll try to tell us, and he'll try to convince us, and he'll try to work with us, until finally we've rejected him so many times that we don't fight anymore, that we don't say, look, here's the thing. It's not good for your kids to eat boxes and boxes of Twinkies. We know that. Yet the desire is still there. But we also know that that desire can be curbed. It doesn't mean that it's natural. None of my kids have ever looked up to me and said, Sorry, Dad, I was born to eat Twinkies. They wrote a song about it. I was born this way. No, you weren't. Zero. Zero scientific evidence for being born that way. It's funny how one side loves science when they want to go one way, but when science proves that their activity is sin and it's not acceptable and it's wrong and there's no, no way to prove it, there's no genetic code that follows that, there's nothing like that, well, then science is just wrong. No, it's an appetite to be curbed. It's an appetite to get rid of. We know how hard it is, though, to do that. We know how difficult that is to stop doing. I'm trying to lose weight right now. I'm trying to walk every day. I, I read this thing. It was very simple. I don't know why it was eye-opening to me. How many times have you read diet stuff before and changing your life and all that stuff? But he, it was just this guy from England. He says, I just decided one day to not eat for three and take myself for a walk every day. And I went, I can do that. I cannot eat for three. There's not a lot of rules. There's no calorie counting. Just don't eat for three and take yourself for a walk every day. So I started doing that. I'm just taking myself for a walk every day. I need to walk a little further probably, but hey, it's working. But it's hard to stop that. Now, that, that's been five months now. And then my daughter-in-law brings over, my daughter-in-law brings over two packages of cookies. It's like I could eat for three now. Camp, I burned up a lot of calories. What I'm getting at is it is difficult to curb that appetite, but it is an appetite that can be controlled. It is an appetite that I have authority over. That's part of and one of the fruits of the Spirit. One of the gifts that God gives you being filled with the Holy Spirit is self-control. I have that. I have the command of that. I think it's interesting. The, the verse that sticks with me most for this to help us understand this because I see, I, I see that movement going younger and younger and younger and younger. And here's what Solomon says in chapter 8, verse 4. It's something like this. I'm not going to quote it exactly, but it says, Don't awaken love before it's time. O Jerusalem, daughters of Jerusalem, don't awaken love before it's time because until it's time, you're all kind of whacked out hormonally and every other way. And if you think now, at the age of 8, at the age of 10, at the age of 12, at the age of 14, you know who you are, you're wrong. 
as a 47-year-old who has shed a, a cocoon of skin 17 different times as I've grown up, try, still, I am not the same person I was when I was 40. I'm not the same person I was when I was 30. I'm not the same person I was when I was 20. And if I had decided to be at the age of 14 what I'm going to be the rest of my life, I'm wrong. I'm not that person. It's terrible what they're doing to these kids. These kids don't know. They need this. They need to understand. Don't awaken love before it's time. Wait, wait, wait. You don't need to be thinking about that right now. Right now, your hormones are going crazy. Everything's interesting to you right now. Everything is interesting to you right now. I'm curious about everything. I'm doing the best I can to make this PG. Everything's interesting. As you get older, give it time. Settle. Get stable. Calm down. <laughs> but I tell you, as one who's gone through it, as, as I think I can get quite a few witnesses here, it isn't easy. And I think as older adults, we need to really help them out with truth, with wisdom, with experience to let them know, here's where you're headed, here's where it's going to be like, and yes, I understand, but here's where you're going with this. Here's what's going to happen as things stabilize. Help them with that. I think that's the most important verse for this section is that Solomon 8.4. Please, daughters of Jerusalem, don't awaken love before it's time. Unless you're ready to get married, don't awaken love. Unless you're ready right now to commit and give vows for the rest of your life, don't awaken love. Don't play. Don't go back and forth. Don't try people on for size. Just don't. That doesn't mean you can't be wrong. I've had two now. Two boys. Nope. You know, it happens. But they're trying. Well, I have, Bo's too young. He's definitely not getting... You gotta... Wait. Wait. Settle down, you know. Anyway, that's the idea. Chapter 19. And the Lord spoke to Moses, Spanx, oh boy, I don't think we're going to, it's a long chapter. And communion. I could do it. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols, nor make for yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord your God. In other words, don't change your mind. Don't walk with me and then go back to those idols. See, they came from idolatry, and they're going to walk into a country, a nation that's full of idolatry. Don't turn to those. And you do. You have to turn from God to get to those. You have to turn from God to get to these. You can't have them both at the same time. He's warning them, don't turn away after these idols, these molded gods, these things that you've made yourself that look like you. Don't do that. Revere your father and mother. Keep those things. Keep the Sabbaths. You know. Now, when it comes to those things, the Sabbath has been changed, as we read in Hebrews, in the sense that Jesus is our Sabbath. He's our rest. He's fulfilled that law. He's fulfilled that. But the honoring of your father and mother, that doesn't ever stop. Jesus doesn't fulfill that. Now you can be mean to your mom and dad. That doesn't change. You know, that's the idea behind these things. And nor can you turn to idols now that Jesus has come. Those things are... So anyway, one of those things that have changed, one of those things that haven't. Verse 5. 
And if you offer a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it, and on the next day. And if any remains until the third day, it shall be burned uh, in the fire. And if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination. In other words, you broke my law. It was good up until that point, but you went too far and ate it on the third day because you couldn't toss it out. You had to eat the leftovers, and I told you not to, and you did it anyway, so it's an abomination now. You're thinking of yourself. You're not thinking of me. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord and that person shall be cut off from his people. This free will offering is always meant to be that way. If you want to have a peace offering with God, it's got to, be, it's got to come from your heart, not because I told you to, not because I'm making you. It has to come from your heart to me. I'm not requiring it. I've never asked for it. But if you want to do it, I've made a way for you to do it. It has to be a free will. Verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard, and you shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. We don't do that anymore, really. Other countries do. Other countries don't go through the field a second time to pick up what's dropped. They just leave it. They're supposed to anyway. I was listening to... uh, I don't know why I'm starting to listen to this stuff. It's like 5.60 a.m. from St. Joe's at the right a.m. station. It's like farm talk all the time. It's really interesting to me now. I think it's because I'm old. I think I'm just, oh, you know, these guys are they're kind of interesting. When they switch, they talk about China and all that. I digress. <laughs> um, they were talking about a new piece of implement equipment that'll pick up those half things that get dropped along the way. And that way you can save. That's an extra bushel of, of corn every, for every acre. And I'm going, okay. I mean, how much, I'm thinking in my mind, how much did that piece of equipment cost, first of all? And how much is a one bushel? And that's if it really gets a full bushel on every acre. And have you even paid for that equipment? I'm trying to do the math in my head. Then I got to thinking about this scripture. You don't have to worry about it. Just let it go. Let that, let that, half, let that bushel go. It's okay. It, uh, maybe the deer will eat it instead of everything else in your field. I don't know. I'm just kidding. But I got to thinking about that, how we're just trying to gather and gather. And the, the, the idea behind this law is leave it for the poor. Let them come through and pick it up on their own. This is the picture of Ruth. If you read um, the story of Ruth, Ruth was gleaning um, in Boaz's field, and that's how they got uh, engaged and so on, because she was a good hard worker, and they were poor, and that's what they did. They had to work for their food. They had to work for the money. It was hard work, a lot harder than working for Boaz. These gleaners would come through and pick up whatever they could, and bring home whatever they found that day. Usually a couple handfuls is all enough for the day. Not enough for a week or even to make a profit, but just enough for the day for themselves. And that's the idea. This is, this is God's welfare system right here. This is God's uh, you know, help for the poor. Come through and, and get the stuff you can get. I want you to leave the corners. Round them off. You know, leave those corners. Don't be trying to get every single stock. Don't be greedy is the idea. Things change when things are forced or taken from you and given to other people. Things change. Changes your heart on the matter. I, I shared that recently in a, in a post and then also in an email. You know, when, when, when it was up to you to give, it helps you to be a good, generous, humble person who can give. And the other person receiving then can be grateful and thankful and understand that I, it's a real person I'm taking from. I, I think it's interesting when they say, the th- current conversation we have politically about they need to pay for more. The government needs to do more. They don't think they think it's not them. 
There's no government money. It's my money. It's your money. It's it's not some money that just magically appears, although they do print a lot lately. But it's not just magically appearing. It's coming out of my paycheck. It's going into the big pool and it's being distributed. That's how it works. That's nothing but a a hose. The government's just a big hose that sprays it to everybody that may need it. There's a difference. It becomes impersonal. It becomes, I can't believe how much came out of my check this week. And now you're bitter. And the person who gets it says, "Ah, how come my check was late? And how come they're cutting it? How come not as much as it used to be? Things have gone south. And this is the idea. A God-centered welfare system works. A godless welfare system doesn't work. This is what happens when God is removed from the equation. It doesn't work. We become embittered, those who pay and work and pay our taxes. Those who get become entitled, and it's, it fails all the way around. And you have two classes, then you have a warfare going on in your minds. You don't say it out loud, but you're kind of you're looking at them in high V, and you're waiting for them to get done, you know. I'm buying your groceries. You know, it's just this thing going on that goes, it's not good. But when God's the sinner and you help someone out because you have compassion for them because God's able to work out in their heart for that person, everybody wins. It's so beautiful the way God designed it. But then man messes it up when we take him out. Verse 11, you shall not steal nor deal falsely nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. Sorry, it's this mic. Ready? I'm going to twist it. And it kind of helps sometimes. It gets rusty from all my spit, I think. All right, how's that? You shall not cheat, or not, shall not steal, uh, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. Um, and you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your, your God. I am the Lord. Don't, don't try to get as much as you can. There's a, there's a temptation for that. I, we were playing flag, foot, or flag, capture the flag out at, at camp. That was probably the worst game we played out there as far as, because I was in charge and I'm not very compassionate. I'm kind of a, a dictator when it comes to that kind of stuff. And well, the whole thing was they were doggy guarding the flag at first. And doggy garden, if you don't know what that means, it was puppy guarding for some people. I call it doggy garden. And they, the kids would stand around it and do that. Nobody could get the flag. The game was taken forever. I said, okay, so nobody can guard their flags anymore. So I got away from it. I couldn't keep them away from guarding that flag for nothing. They just kept wanting to do it. And so once I made that law, nobody can doggy guard. That's all I heard the rest of the day. They're guarding their flag. They're guarding their flag. And I said, so are you over here. It was so funny to watch the human nature pop up. I, I, I don't want to keep the rules, but they need to keep the rules. We were, it was so quick for them to say, I can see fault, I find fault, you're doing it too. But not as bad as they're doing it over, you know, it's just so funny to see that human nature rise out. Okay, well this is not a very spiritual game, probably because I was in charge of it and we needed to get rid of that quickly, ended it. That's the idea here. Don't cheat your neighbor, don't try to lie and steal and get as much as you can from them. Be honest. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind. He had to write that down. There's a blind guy walking, and you're sticking stuff out in front of him? (laughs) He had to write that down. What a terrible law. Or the deaf guy? He can't hear me anyway. He had to write a law for that. You know why? Because honestly, folks, without Christ, without God, we're just mean Vicious hens that can peck. You ever seen that? 
You ever seen that in a, in, a, in a flock of chickens? It's gross. They find one. You see one, it's like, man, he has no tail feathers. His whole rear end's red, the whole thing. And they just chase this poor little bird around. The whole crowd just pecks this thing. I'm like, you're all going for dinner tonight, you know, and this one's going to live forever. This is what you want to do, you know, as someone with an ax. We can be like that as people. We can be that mean. We can be that way with people. And so God had to write this down. Whatever you do, don't curse the deaf. Oh, I don't know who got upset about that law. Nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God. In other words, I'm watching. I'm seeing this henpecking that's going on around here. And I'm not happy about it. So don't be doing that. I see it. You know, quit being mean. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor. That interesting way to put that, isn't it? Not partial to the rich. Don't be partial to the poor. That could go either way. In, in judgment, it means, oh, he's poor. Let's let him off. No, no, no. Judgment lands on him, whether he's rich or poor. But also, just because he's poor doesn't mean he's guilty. Okay, but it goes both ways there. Don't be, don't let that, uh, don't be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. They're the same. They get the same. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people. You shall not take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You know, I've discovered the only way to stop gossip and tail-bearing and all that stuff is to not give it an ear. You can, I can talk all day long. Now stop gossiping. Stop being a tail-bearer. People, I don't know. It's like built in. But the first time someone looks at them and says, ooh, I don't want to hear this. It sounds like tail-bearing and gossip, and they walk away. Well, now they're going to tailbear and gossip about that person that just offended them, but there's no ear to hear it anymore. That's how you stop it. And so when you hear someone start that conversation with you, come here, have you heard this? You say, no, and if they can't be here for the conversation, I don't want to talk about it. That's how you stop it. That's how you stop tailbearing. Don't let them get into your ear. Um, so uh, don't be that way. Don't be that kind of person. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. In other words, it's not okay to just get along with everybody and not... No, if they're doing something wrong, if they're sinning, if they're, if they're encroaching on someone else, if they're tail-bearer, call them on it. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is where he gets that. When Jesus sums up the, the law, he gets it right here. Matthew 22, verse 35, when he says, what are the two greatest commandments? He quotes this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Not in the Ten Commandments. The two greatest commandments aren't in the Ten Commandments. I've said that before, but here it is. Here's where he gets it from. Um, You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. Um, I wonder if uh, mules would count. It's interesting, isn't it? Something to think about. Since they can't breed afterwards, mules can't breed. You always have to have a horse. You always have to have a donkey. I think that's how it goes, right? And they can't breed. Interesting thought. Um, God made a way that, no, you can do that if you want to, but it's only going to last once. You don't get to keep breeding them. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed, nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. We talked about that when we talked about the priest's garment, but linen represents grace. Wool represents work. I don't want them mixed together. In other words, your salvation is purely by grace. Wear linen only. Now, they allowed for them to wear wool here, so it really doesn't, it's not the same as the high priest, but um, you can't blend them together. A lot of this has to do with fairness. Don't mix the seed with a filler seed and the seed they're buying. You know, don't mix tares and wheat together and, 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 and try to sell them a bag of tare wheat, you know, kind of thing. 
I, I don't want that. They, they need to be getting a pure uh, EFA. That was one of their measurements of wheat. They don't have to go through it and say, oh, this is like 50-50. This is fi-. You ever get that bird seed with the little round white pellets in it? It's a filler seed. None of them eat it. It's still on the ground months later. It's still sitting there. Nobody eats those things. That's the idea here. It's filler seed. Whoever lies carnally with a woman who is betrothed to a man as a concubine and who has not at all been redeemed nor given her freedom, uh, for this there shall be scourging, but they shall not be put to death because she was not free. Now, they don't have slavery yet. God's already putting into laws based off of their failures in the future, unfortunately. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, a ram as a trespass offering. The priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering before the Lord for his sin which he has committed, and the sin which he has committed shall be forgiven him. When you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised or unclean. Three years it shall be uncircumcised to you. It shall not be eaten. Let it fall. Don't pick it. But in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. And in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit, that it may yield to you its increase. I am the Lord your God. There's a law there. Let your fruit trees be there. Once they start producing fruit, count it off. You've got five years to let it lie. I don't know what's happening or the reason behind it. Maybe the fruit becomes fertilizer for it. Maybe it's for all the other animals, you know, that they might have some way of sustaining themselves. I don't know what it is, but it's a good rule, you know. Um, it's something you need to do. You sh- shall not eat anything with the blood. You shall not practice divination or soothsaying. Interesting he puts those two together because they do go hand in hand. Um, you shall not shave around the sides of your head. Oops. Nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. Now you understand that was all in one breath. I don't know how you feel about tattoos. People pretty strong on that. That seems to be a hot-button issue in the church. Well, I'm just you know doing this. I'm do, do, doing it for the Lord. I'm putting Scripture on my arm and all that. Okay? Another person on the other side saying, absolutely not. The Bible says, Leviticus, no tattoos or markings on your... Okay, it also says you can't shave your beard. It also says you can't shave the sides of your head. I had a guy do this to me. He came up to me at Boyle's when I was the parts manager there, and he walked up to me, and he says, look at this article in the St. Joe News Press. See that? They're getting on these teachers about getting tattoos. You know, that's in the Bible. He's very legalistic, very. It's in the Bible. I looked at him, I said, where's your beard? He looked at me like, you know, what? I said, where's your beard? I said, you understand that's all in one sentence. It's all together. It's all in one paragraph. You can't, you can't cut your beard. You're as guilty as the teachers is what I was trying to get across to him. Now, here's the thing. It's up to you. On these things, I, I, I'm not going to tell you. What, I, I tell you this. Let me let me err on the side of caution here. I know you'll be fine if you don't get a tattoo. I know that's okay to not get a tattoo. You're never going to offend God by not getting a tattoo, ever. You're never ever going to offend God by not getting a tattoo. I'll leave it at that. But I'm not one that's like that. I'm not. I'm not a person that says. You know, oh, they've got tattoos. They can't serve at Calvary. Of course you can. Of course you can. I have a tattoo over here. Um, I didn't get any more. Um, I'm done with it. They are addicting, by the way. If you're a tattoo person, they're addicting. Once you get one, you've got to even out on the other side. Then you've got to do another one and another one and another one. Pretty soon, you belong in prison. But I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm waiting for John to show up. When's John McBride going to get here? He just got a new one on his forearm. You have to look at him and say, 
Leviticus when he walks by you. He runs Breaking Chains. He did a Breaking Chains concert out there. He just got a new one, Breaking Chains, all over his arm. So I'm going to point at him. I'm using his example for second service. So here's the thing on that. Am I fulfilled? Am I covered? Has Christ died? You know, be careful about this stuff. I don't endorse, um, but I trim my beard. Uh, I shave the sides of my head. It's just something I've always done. As a, even before I went in the Marine Corps, I had that. I've always had this haircut style, always. You're like, ah, the Marine Corps is still in there? No. I was like this when I was 10, you know. Um, I just hate it when it touches my ears. Um, so I'm breaking two of them, and they've only broken one. So, well, actually, I've broken three, but I, I think I'm going to heaven, though. I think I am. Do not prostitute your daughter. Oh, I can't believe he has to write that. To cause her to be a harlot, lest the land fall into harlotry and the land become full of wickedness. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Now, be careful about that one. This is not a sanctuary. We call it that sometimes because we don't know what else to call it. We, I'm not one of those guys at the multi-purpose room. I can't do that. But remember, it's neither in the temple nor on top of this mountain that you're going to worship God. It's going to be worshiping God in spirit and truth. You're now the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's where God resides. That's where worship is. So if I'm outside with all of you and I'm worshiping, we're worshiping at his church, we're in his presence. It isn't in here, okay? Um, this is a room, a location, uh, but it, it's not a, a sanctuary. What he's talking about there is the tabernacle, and he's also talking about the temple later on. Um, so keep that in mind as you read that. Uh, Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Don't try to call in the dead. Don't be going to any palm readers and all that stuff and, and, and you know seance leaders and all that. You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. You're not rising. Okay. Um, and if a, if a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is legal immigration. I can't emphasize that enough. Nowhere does he say if an entire army of other country comes into your country illegally that you need to treat them with respect and full honor as if they've always been here. No, it's not what he's talking about. I've seen this scripture used many times for that. Of course we need to have immigration, but it has to be done legally, orderly. God is a God of order. Of course people should come from other countries and live in our nation. Of course they should. I saw somebody who put this on their, on their Facebook page. I'm a daughter of an immigrant. Who isn't? I'm a great, great, great grandson of an immigrant. We're all, and that's fine, and that's great, but it needs to be done legally, legally. So, all right, back. Verse 35, he shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, weight, or volume. Make sure you have even scales. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, and uh, honest ephah, and an honest hin. Uh, hin was for oil, ephah is for like grain. Um, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them. I am the Lord. And remember, this is to Israel. Israel. Okay, let's pray. Lord, as we get closer now to having our time of communion and we're going to hand out the bread and the juice and remember what you did for us on the cross, we're so thankful. You know, as we go through Leviticus, God, and we see all the rules and regulations and all the things they had to remember to do, 
and then you simplified it at all. When you came, you told us you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that we needed to love our neighbors as ourselves. And that is all of the law and the prophets rest on those two things. No more there's sacrifices of animals. There's no more this, that, or the other. We are having some bread and juice in memory of what you've done for us at the cross, fulfilling the law for us. There's no way for us to get to heaven by the law because we've broken the law. But you fulfilled the law for us, and now we are in you. We have, we're in Christ. We're in you, Jesus. And we remember that this morning. We remember that your body was broken, that your blood was shed for our sins. All of our iniquities, all of our transgressions, all of our sins were paid for at the cross, and we're now clean, spotless. You, you're going to present us to the Father as a spotless bride. We're going to be a spotless bride, and we're so thankful for that, God, as if we've never, ever sinned. And so this morning, as we have our communion, we think about the, compli- the complicated way to you through the Old Testament, how simple it is now, God. We're so thankful for that. Lord, we do confess our sin to you. We do know that our sins are are not acceptable. None of this stuff is okay. You've never given us permission to go ahead and sin now that you've died on the cross. You've only told us that our sin is taken care of, that it's covered, that it's paid for, that it's wiped away. But God, we still hate it. We still hate our sin like you hate sin. And so God, forgive us for our sins, Lord. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. Help us to live holy lives, if not for your sake, for our sake, that we might live. We know that that's why you want us to live this way, that we might have, not have heartache and pain and suffering, but that we might live the life you intended us to have down here, full of joy and peace, full with you. So God, we eat and drink this bread in remembrance of you this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Lord, this morning as we hold this cup and our, the bread in our hands, Lord, we're reminded of what you did for us 2,000 years ago on the cross. We honor you. We lift you up. We praise you. We give you all the glory and honor you deserve, Lord. We don't want to take any of that from you to ourselves. We want to give it all to you. And so um, by doing this, we humble ourselves. We know that you died on the cross for our sins and that had to happen because of us, because we're sinners, because we break the law, because we're not, well, we're not obedient. We're not who we're supposed to be. We've got our own nature and it's a sinful one. It's contrary to yours. It fights yours. And uh, Lord, when we eat and drink this, we're surrendering to you, God. We're sorry. We don't want this. We don't want our own nature. We want our nature to be just like yours. We want your nature. We want to be kind and loving, compassionate. We want to have all the fruit that you can give us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We want that long-suffering, patience, and kindness, God. Lord, we want um, self-control. We need you. And so in eating and drinking this, Lord, we acknowledge that before you, that we completely rely on the cross for our salvation. We completely rely on your sacrifice for our salvation. We completely rely on what you did for our justification, for our entrance into heaven, for our forgiveness. Nothing we do can help that. And so we thank you from the bottom of our hearts, with all of our hearts. We thank you for what you've done for us. Lord, we want to live. We want to live. Help us to walk in your ways so that we might live the way we're supposed to, God, and have that beautiful life you intended for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.